Engaging Leader Podcast, episode 19, how to help your team have more great days at work. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. Last time we talked with Chris Rice about how to have more great days at work. Today we're going to be talking about how to help your team have more great days at work. And we're going to be focusing on employee engagement, but I think our listeners will find that these, many of the same principles apply to the other people you may lead or influence. For example, parents engaging their kids and thought leaders engaging their followers. All right, I'm excited to welcome back to the show Christopher Rice, the president and CEO of global consulting firm Blessing White. And today I want to talk about how a leader can help your team have more great days at work. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Jesse. Now, at the at the end of the last show, I had just shared my personal story going through a time in life and having an external coach help me with my own engagement equation and get back to where I was having more great days at work. And, and for me, that had to do with the mix of work that I did so that I wasn't totally business-focused but also had some creative focus in my life, and that that's been a, a, a success story for me. Um, but it was a it was a very much an individual something I had to take individual responsibility for. And you stress in the book that it it really is an individual situation with each person having to manage their own X. But the the leaders on the team can can certainly help with that. You're exactly right, Jesse. We say that there are three people responsible for engagement. One's the individual employee. And what I liked about your story is you described how you acted in order to find more great days at work. There's also a role for the the manager of the employee and then for the leader in the organization. Often that's the, the same person. And let me start with the, the manager. We say the acronym is CARE, which stands for COACH. And often managers don't realize that their primary responsibility is to coach and develop their team members. The A is align, that you want to align what the employee is doing with the goals, priorities, and strategies of the organization. The R is recognize, and a big factor in engagement is the recognition that you receive at at work. And the E is engage, that your job as a manager is to engage your employees because they'll be doing more of the work that you want them to to do, and they'll be excited to to do it. So the acronym is CARE. How does the manager start that conversation with the employee and encourage maybe some vulnerability? Because I, I a lot of people would be nervous to talk to their manager about you know, their genuine feelings as, as far as are they getting everything they, they would like to out of this position or is there are there some changes that perhaps they should make? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's, it's hard as a manager, especially in a, with a new team member, to say, 
So tell me, are you engaged? <laughs> Most employees are not going to reveal, oh, are you kidding? I hate this job. I'm out of here so fast. So uh, like in all relationships, you have to build that, that trust. And um, we have a concept called authenticity. It's a term that's been around for more than a, a decade. And it, it refers to the ability of a manager or leader to reveal vulnerabilities, relevant vulnerabilities. I'll give some examples of what's relevant and what's not relevant, and to do it in a trusting and authentic way. So relevant vulnerabilities is um, not if you're the head of finance to describe how you have been embezzling the books for some time, although <laughs> that may be a criminal offense and that the police want to know about that. That does not elicit trust when you when you say that. Um, but all of us, no matter how successful, have had times in our lives where things have not gone well, where we've had personal failures or we've had business failures. And being able to reveal that in an appropriate way causes, uh, elicits much more confidence from our team members in, in our trustworthiness and in the desire to have confidential conversations. And by being less judgmental and saying, you know, I, I've had those same kinds of things go wrong and here's what I had to do and it was not immediate success for me. People will look at you in a, a different way. So uh, our, our line is that people want to work for human beings and often executives uh, don't want to reveal any of the things that, that have gone wrong in their lives yet. It's a characteristic of a, a great leader. Just to show how that, I think that concept of authenticity can work in other areas of life besides the job, but any area where you are a leader or have an influence, there's a, a local nonprofit here that uh, I volunteer with, and one of the services that they provide is parenting classes for folks who are either new parents or just realizing that they're not, they haven't maybe been the best parents so far. So, so I uh, help with some of that teaching. And I was uh, just recently in a coaching session with one of the gentlemen and was listening to his concerns and issues that he had. And he asked me a question about how you handle moments when you, you um, are arguing with your spouse and you blow up in front of the kids and what can you do about that? And so I was answering his question and I you said, you know, for example, when my wife and I have an argument in front of the kids and blah, blah, blah. And he said, but you don't ever actually like blow up in front of them, do you? <laughs> and I said, well, I'd love to say that I never do, but the truth is it happens. Sometimes I'm in a bad mood and I just don't control my temper. And sometimes the same thing happens with my wife. And his expression was just was cl classic. Um, he just had this look of just genuine appreciation. He said, I love that you're so honest. He was just like a you know this hungry kid. Um, tell me more, and what can I do about this? And just the realization that here's a, a real person who's gone through some of these, and he doesn't claim to be perfect. That means I can trust. I can actually trust what he says. I have a great example, Jesse. Yes, and that's that um, revealing personal weaknesses that elicit trust. Thank you. So I agree that uh, managers need to care, that, that first part being coach, coaching individuals toward both maximum contribution and satisfaction. 
a lot of managers, I suppose, would need some train need training on that, or maybe every every manager should should get training at some point to be a better coach. Very true. And although some people are better at it naturally than others, it's it's a hard thing to do to be a, an effective coach. And so, good organizations provide training and coaching and how to be a coach for the managers. And they also state this is a responsibility of you as a manager is to coach your people to help others succeed is the term that we use. Coach and then align. And so that is consistently and frequently explaining the strategy and the mission of the organization and the values and helping uh, individuals make sure that they are their own work fits in with that. Exactly. And that you're doing that in a dynamic situation for, at most companies because the strategies, tactics of the organization, the standards of performance keep changing. Yeah, it's, it is amazing how often, even, even just your own personal goals in, in life change moment by moment. You, you look back, uh, I look back at my goals a quarter ago and, and I see some of them have changed. And so, and of course, entire departments and companies change. So it would be a dynamic experience to uh, make sure that people on your team, that their top three priorities, let's say, are, are still at this moment in time consistent with the company's priorities. Exactly. And we do another exercise with organizations where we have people state or write down their top three priorities and the manager write down that person's top three priorities. And that even at companies with very specific goal-setting processes, the average uh, number of items that match up is one out of three. And it's not that the manager is right, that his or her two, that the employee had, those are the things the employee should work on. Often the managers will look at the employee's list and say, wow, you actually have better things on your list than I have on, (laughs) on my list. And then sometimes the employee has three priorities and the manager said, hey, you know, we're no longer focused on on that. And this is part of that dialogue. You want to have that conversation on a regular basis to make sure that the employee is working on the right things. Because you don't want to get to the end of the year, have the employee come in for the performance appraisal review to get a raise and a bonus and be very proud. Here are the three things that I worked on. And have the manager say, you know, two of the three of those things are... So those were not important to me uh, after the first month of the year. Wow, yeah, that would not be a fun conversation. And then recognize, and you bring up a lot in the book that this whole engagement equation is very individualized. And I, I don't know that we all would have realized this, but you point out that even recognition needs, you, you have to take into consideration what is going to, going to engage an individual because different people view recognition differently. Sure. And some people love the recognition in front of other employees, in front of the other hundred or thousand employees. Others might think that is the worst experience they ever have and would like a a personal note and done very quietly. Good managers will, will understand how people like the recognition. Is it done over lunch? Is it done taking the person and the person's significant other out for drinks or, or a meal. All those things and certainly have to fall within your culture and the policies of your company. 
but all of us as managers usually have a lot of latitude on how we recognize people. So once again, you have to start to understand what drives each employee in terms of that recognition. Well, that's a good point. And then E for engage in dialogue. So uh, managers need to care, coach, align, recognize, engage. And then what do executives need to do, the senior leaders of of an organization? So the acronym for senior executives is CASE. And the C stands for community. Um, We all want to be part of something bigger and more important and to feel a sense of community. We've come to work because we're not only looking for a job, but to be part of something. And great leaders will create that sense of community within an organization that we're working together. The A is authenticity, that senior executives like managers and people at all levels need to demonstrate authenticity. There's probably a greater burden on the senior leaders because We employees draw our opinions of senior leaders based on very little information, similar to how we draw our opinions on political leaders based on minimal information. We hear a short set of comments at a town hall meeting. We read what's written in an email. We have a conversation sometimes with a senior leader uh, while getting coffee or on the elevator, and we decide if we have confidence in that person and we want to follow that person into the dark woods or not. And your ability to inspire people as a leader is tied to how authentic you are, which we defined as revealing things about yourself in a genuine way, your motivations, your successes, your failures, how you arrived at your, your current situation. And uh, it's, uh, it's actually very hard to do, to be authentic. And uh, one time I was at a, uh, uh, the town hall meeting of a client organization, a Fortune 100 company. So this is a big company. And uh, the, uh, the leader that we were working with had invited an even higher level leader. And he came out and he showed up on, the, on this huge screen, a family photo. And it was people wearing casual clothes. And he quickly ran through his relationship. You know, this is my cousin, this is my uncle, this is my brother. And then he immediately went into a description of lots of numbers and quarterly performance. And afterwards, I said, hey, what was that thing of the family photo? He said, oh, I read an article in Harvard Business Review about how to be authentic. And so I thought I was being authentic. I said... The the intent was right, but the execution wasn't quite there. <laughs> so it's important. And authenticity needs to be uh, needs to be um, relevant and helpful to the current discussion. Exactly, and uh, to reveal things about yourself that are relevant to the situation to show that. Uh, you've experienced the same things, and that your your path has not always been one of, of perfection and success. Yeah, that's a great story to illustrate that. And then the S stands for significance, and that we want to do things that are important, and that significance, you can create significance even if whatever your company does is not the most important thing on surface in the in the world that often we're not working at companies that are necessarily changing the world, 
but great leaders can create that excitement and uh, or that significance by describing what they do in a way that causes people to be inspired. And we've seen this in even what I would describe as the most mundane businesses that a great leader will talk about products and services or the mission of the company in a way that people see the significance of what they do. Do you have, do you have an example of that? We had this great ad at Blessing White of a of a janitor working at NASA. And uh, you may have heard the story of when he was asked what he he did. He didn't describe his his job as cleaning the hallways and cleaning the floors. He described it, my job is to put a man on the moon. And he was able to connect what he did of keeping the area outside the clean room clean in order to have a successful moon launch. And so he saw the significance of his job, even though he was not at a high level in the NASA organization. Yeah, that's, that's really inspiring. And then the E in case is for excitement, that people like to work in an organization where there's a lot of excitement. That's human nature. And sometimes at companies, we're just so focused on number of widgets getting out the door that we forget to to create excitement, to ring the bell, to have lots of noise, to make it fun. And, and uh, yet that's a big factor in people saying, wow, you know, I had a great day at work. It was so exciting. Excellent. So executives in, in the role of helping employees have great days at work need to build a case, community, authenticity, significance, and excitement. Well, Chris, I have a question that has come in, and this is a a person who is at a a large global company, and they are a a company that, as many do, they actually conduct a full company engagement survey. So all employees are engaged through an attempt to determine, do they feel that they're they're getting satisfaction at work, and and are they, how how much do they, are they contributing at work? And uh, this company does a survey every two years, a full company survey every two years, and, and then they do some pulse surveys in the meantime. But the, So this is the first, they, they just completed their first survey in two years, and it showed that they had some improvements in all areas, some step improvements in all areas. But, but he is skeptical that an actual improvement took place. He, his sort of, he, he's wondering if they haven't actually just trained managers and employees to rate themselves at a higher engagement level and rate their managers well because uh, in the past it turns out that if you and your team ended up showing lower engagement then you had all sorts of extra follow-up activities so uh, they, they sort of have fallen into I think what you call the uh, the engagement survey analysis paralysis trap and how do you do you think that there that's a real concern in that the, that in a survey can can cause that kind of problem and and how do you how do you uh, handle that sure we call it the good the bad and the ugly of surveys and i i personally love to measure things i come from that school that says you can't improve what you don't measure now having said that there are lots of bad ways to to measure 
and if if an organization creates a uh, incentive for the scores going up not for the the right reasons then that's probably the um, the bad and the ugly of a survey process i would also suggest to this organization that even with pulse surveys every two years is a, a pretty long time um, and so i would i would try to do it every six months or every uh, 12 months of course to to do a survey that frequently you need a shorter instrument and a, I think a mistake that many organizations do is they ask way too many items or questions, and so people get survey fatigue. So it's important in the design of the survey that you have items or questions that have face validity. It's not a question. Why are they asking me that? That makes no sense that you want to have items that people say, yeah, that's a good question. I'm glad uh, that's being asked of me. And then you want to be um, very public in the releasing of the the scores, whether they're high scores or, or low scores. And then the other mistake I think organizations uh, make is that they put the burden of improving the scores on the manager, that the manager has a to-do list of too many items. And what I recommend to organizations is first pick roughly three things that across the entire organization would make a, a big change. And uh, it's usually easy to identify what the, the commonalities are. And then cascade down to the smallest work level, a process that enables teams to select a few more things without it being the manager who has all the work to do, that others on the team are sharing what needs to be done. So that's a couple of thoughts on uh, frequency of survey and uh, who should be working on it. Yeah, that's helpful. And should there should it feel to the employees and managers that teams with lower engagement have more extra activities that they need to put to act on? You should not have necessarily more things to do because you have a lower score. I think. Uh, in a good survey process, every team is focused on doing a small number of things that will improve engagement. So even if you have a high-scoring team, you want to figure out ways that you're going to retain that high engagement. That makes sense. And then his other question is that they had the official communications about the that went out about the engagement survey said that the scores itself didn't matter. It was just all about improving. So what the specific scores were for any work group really didn't matter. But then the organization proceeded to give special recognition to those managers with the highest scores. So I'm wondering, do you, do you think, is there a, a, a rule of thumb? Is it, is it better to give recognition to managers or is it better to just treat everybody the same? Look, these are all, every work group has, has opportunities to improve. Yeah. So it sounds like it was more how it was communicated. Scores don't matter, but we're going to recognize the people with high scores. So I probably would have suggested to be a little more consistent in that communication. Which, whichever way you go, whether you recognize or don't, at least make sure your communication matches what you actually do. Exactly. Do you think it's better either way, or is it just up to the individual organization, whether they should recognize? First, I would I would say that 
in the initial running of a survey, I would be very cautious about saying the scores matter. I think you do need to establish a baseline at the, the company. And so I would say, you know, the first or second time you run the, the survey, it's all with let's find out what the scores are, what the opportunities are, and work on those, those things. But then there's a point where uh, there's an obligation to improve the scores and that it does matter. If you're a, a manager who has consistently bad scores and they're not moving up, then you may, be, um, you, you, you may not be an effective manager and you should reflect on if you need to be in a different kind of position. Now, often people end up as managers for the wrong reasons. Higher compensation, nicer office, all that kind of stuff. And yet they would be much happier doing some kind of technical job, uh, having a professional track. So organizations should make sure that they're choosing people who want to be managers and do those things that we talked about earlier to coach, align, recognize, and engage your employees in conversation. Not everyone likes to do that. Well, that's good practical advice. Christopher Rice author of The Engagement Equation, Strategies for Leading an Inspired Workforce. Thank you for joining us today. Jesse, thank you so much. All right, terrific. And you can find out more about Chris's book and get additional resources at www.theengagementequation.com. All right, leaders, that wraps up this episode of the Engaging Leader podcast. Be sure to tune in next time when we'll discuss four strategies for developing an effective culture. Well, if you have a comment or a question about this episode or any future topic, you can record it by calling 888-201-8450. Or you can go to our website at engagingleader.com, go to the show notes for this episode and write in your comment or questions, or connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Arthur Hankey, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seale, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about.